So this is office hours. This is uh, a space where students in a virtual program can have the experience of sitting in a teacher's office um, and talking and getting a lot of the sort of information you get only from grazing. Um, and today I have a, an EFT therapist, supervisor, and blogger, Karen Bristol. And I said all that correctly, right? That's how I say your name. Yep, that was perfect, perfect. yes. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about EFT today and couple work. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into the therapy field? How did that come about for you? Oh, gosh. Um, how did I get into the therapy field? I worked in business for a while um, when I first got out of school. Yeah, completely different. And I really enjoyed it, but I felt kind of unfulfilled um, personally. And so I decided to go back to school and get my MSW and... You know, then I kind of jumped off from there. Yeah. And so I'm I sure, took a detour. I'm sure you didn't jump right into doing EFT and, and couple work. Did you do kids? Did you do seniors? And like, how did that? Yeah. Yeah, I started out um, actually as a school counselor, um, and I worked in a school for about ten years um, in a high school, and then towards the end of that, I went part-time there and did uh, part-time private practice um, and in my private practice is when I started working with couples and in the beginning I really had no idea what I was doing with couples and I kind of was like trying a little of this and a little of that and I didn't really know and then I um, learned about EFT and just fell in love with it and have kind of been intensely training and and now teaching in it for a while i'm always interested because uh me and ryan have both had experiences working with children um, mm -hmm. and for us it was in home and so like for you it was in the schools and part of at least for me working mm -hmm. in homes was working in the schools what was yes. what was that like for you um i loved it but you know the downside of it was Working in a school, they don't want you to, or at least the school I was at, they didn't. They don't want you to do kind of really therapy. It was more triage, kind of meeting kids, and if they had um, anything really deep or big going on, we kind of triaged them to outside therapists. So um, that was hard for me because I really like to do the therapy, and um, I, w I was wasn't really getting to do that there. So. Um, that was another reason I kind of switched over to working in private practice. Yeah. I had a, a similar sort of feeling like, man, I feel like I'm not really able to um, help and meet people yeah. where they are and some of the programs I found myself in. And that's, that's been frustrating. Um, yeah. How do you feel like that's impacted your journey? Because, I, I mean, to me what that sounds like then is, you get more um, into the strictly ther therapy sort of stuff later on in your career. Like you said, you did that for, for 10 years? Yeah, yeah. So I've been a therapist now for about 20 years. So the, it was kind of the first half of my career was in, the, in schools. Um, I guess it just really showed me what I do and don't like to do, you know, and, and I really realized that I wanted to get in deep with clients um, and not just kind of keep it chatty and superficial and then pass them on. Um, I really liked building that relationship and that safety and then helping clients really go deep and figure out how we can shift something for them, so... And so how did, how did your EFT journey sort of start? Yeah, so um, I kind of stumbled into EFT. Um, I went to a training, and it just kind of captured my heart, the whole, pe the whole experiential piece of EFT and looking at it through the attachment lens, um, both of which kind of speaks to what I was just talking about, going deeper with clients. Um, and so then I took the externship, which is a four-day kind of intensive training, kind of introduction to EFT. And um, 
again, just kind of really loved it and started doing supervision and, you know, being supervised um, and taking more and more trainings and kind of just really immersing myself in the model. And at first I had no idea what I was doing. I really was stumbling around in it. Like, you know, most of us learning something new, it's, it's deceptive. It looks deceptively simple, but it's, it's tricky. It's hard. Um, so it's, it's a big learning curve and, but I like that. I like the challenge of like really trying to get a handle on something new and practicing while you're learning. So yeah, I um, I think EFT is, well, to me, one of the models that is so specific, but mm-hmm. it's done in such a relational way that you can almost miss it when you're just first watching how people are, are doing it. You know, the the, so uh, the people who are trainers, um, in my experience, they know where they're trying to go. They know if they're trying mm-hmm. to get a step one or step three or you know whatever, but you don't. I don't have the sense that they're like checking off things on a on a checklist, uh, right? Because for them it's so fluid, and I think that's one of the strengths of the of the model. Yeah, it's so true. And in the beginning, I think you can't help but like try to hold that model in your head, and you kind of walk in the session with like, okay, I'm gonna really try to do step one and step two, and and as you really get more and more familiar and more and more comfortable with it, you kind of let that go a little bit. And it's, it is more fluid to use your word. It's a great word. Um, it kind of just flows a little more naturally and you use the cognitive piece more after session, kind of thinking about, okay, where, where were we and where do I want to go next? But then when you're in the session, um, letting that go and just being with the client and kind of knowing that, you're going to move through in the way that you need to. It sounds like for you, part of the process of becoming an EFT therapist is learning to trust yourself. Absolutely. That's such a good way to put it. Yes. Yes. Learning to trust yourself. Um, Really, you know, definitely really knowing the model. And then, like I said, kind of, letting go of it at the same like so holding it tightly and letting it go um but believing that you know it and that yeah but yeah trusting yourself that's a great point i think for me and i would love to get your feedback on this Mm -hmm. um as i've grown and as as i've learned as a therapist and as i've i've also tried to study how how we learn Mm, yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've seen is that oftentimes people who are um, progressed in any discipline, mm-hmm. they've really worked, right? They've really worked to develop some of these skills, and mm-hmm. then these skills become second nature for them, which then allows them to attend to other um, things that are that are going on. And I think for me... That is a really confusing thing to hear as a student because Mm -hmm. what people were saying was you learn it and then you forget it. I mean, I had one teacher who I love this guy and he was, Mm -hmm. yeah, you learn all this stuff and then you go out and you forget it all. And so I would, I'm going to forget it all now. And I go into the room and, you know, it'd be a disaster. And no one could tell me why it was so horrible. They're like, well, you just got to forget it. I'm like, I'm I'm trying to forget it. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I wanted to know, as someone who's definitely more experienced with this model, has that been your experience, or do you feel like, no, there really is a level at which I just let it go? I guess, I guess what I'm saying is yeah. what I've seen is you build skills, mm-hmm. you, know, you hit a certain level of proficiency, you can do them automatically and then relax into it. Yes, that I think that's a really good way to put it. You relax into it. I wouldn't say, and I know I said earlier too, so I'm kind of going to amend what I said. Like I said, I, oh, I, then I let it go, and I guess that's not quite right. Like you relax into it, and you know that you know it, and so you're not. It's not so cognitively like, oh my God, what am I doing right this minute? 
it's um, I I know what I'm doing, but but it's a little less conscious in my head. Does that make sense? I'm kind of relaxed and just believing in myself and believing in the model and knowing I know it. Um, and there's another really important piece you just said, Jordan, that I really liked. Um, I think all along in the journey, and hopefully this will always be true, um, you learn pieces of it, you kind of absorb them, and then you learn others. And you're, you know, then you're attending to newer things, and then you're going to learn that, and that gets absorbed, and then you're going to focus on maybe something even smaller and tinier. Um, but always learning and getting, perfecting your kind of your craft and um, all in service of helping your clients, which is, yeah. How do you do that? Like, what is your, I don't know, practice looks like of, yeah. of always going toward those little things, finding your, your growing edge? Yeah, well, um, I'm always, well, I continue supervision, even though I am a supervisor, I feel like I can always learn. And so I continue to do supervision um, with EFT trainers. And I think that helps me stay um, on, at my edge, um, definitely. Uh, I go to as many trainers. Yeah, so they, so I, they supervise me, yeah. and then I, you know, yeah. and I, I think I will always do that because I feel like I'm never going to be done. Hopefully, never get to be done getting better and trying harder. You know. Um, I think that is and I, the cool. I mean, if I can pause you for a second, I think that's yeah, the coolest please. thing. Of, yeah, I just you know, I'm still doing supervision. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Cool. How often yeah, do you, it's do, you, great. do you do supervision? I do supervision once a month. Um, and do you watch your own tapes? I watch my own tapes. Wow. So that is always a learning expedition every time. <laughs> like, oh, man, I missed that. How could I miss that moment? And, does, it, um, does it hit you? As, like, I feel like when you're starting out and you're watching tapes, and we've, uh, Ryan and I have talked to other therapists who are still in supervision and still watching their tapes. And so for someone who's 10 years in, is it still like, how did I, oh, is it still heart-wrenching? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully that doesn't sound too discouraging. But here's what I tell my supervisees is when you watch your own tapes, you've got to be so careful not to look for all your mistakes all the time, right? Because I think we tend to do that. We, we criticize, we're harsh critics of ourselves and, but that's not going to be the best way we learn. How we learn is, yeah, notice something you may have missed, but also make sure you catch the things that you did right. Because um, shining a light on that cements it in for you, and you're more apt to do that again next time, you know? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's cool. It's good to know. It's good to know that... Um I don't know. Somehow that just is a, a good thing to... Yeah. Yeah, because I think we all go after ourselves, right? I mean, at least most of all, well, at least I do. Um, and that's not a great way to learn. Mm. Think of, like, your best coaches, right? Like, the the coach that was really mean to you, that probably made that experience awful. And the coach that was really encouraging and supportive maybe kept you in that sport or in that whatever it was. And so we have to do that for ourselves. Yeah. I think that's a hard thing to do. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and I think that that's, for me, that's why community is so important. Right? Because yeah. I think you have to be constantly looking for, um, like, where can I grow? What's my leading edge? Mm-hmm. But that's a painful experience. Yes. And I think that's what, for me, I have to have community to to remind me of, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you mistake here. Well, you could have done this better. And it's not about you as a person, right? <laughs> it's not about you Yeah, right. Um, so true. And, you and that it's okay. Really well. Exactly, yeah. 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 Man. Yeah, communities, that's a really good point, Jordan. Um, I mean, because... As therapists, we're pretty 
isolated anyway, unless we work in a, um, you know, community practice or, but um, it's hard to learn in isolation. So we need to build or create community, learning communities around us if we can. So are you, I think I saw on your website that you are a part of the local uh, EFT chapter. Is that True? Yes. Yep. I'm one of the founders of the New Jersey chapter. Yeah. And what, what do you guys do in that area to build community? Um, well, we're kind of a newer, quote unquote, newer chapter. So um, we're still trying to build our community. Um, but we try to do like a social thing once or twice a year. It's not, you know, it's not a lot. It could be better, but like I said, we're still kind of growing, and we do different trainings, and um, yeah, right. that's kind of it so far. But hopefully, we'll add more and more to to it. Uh, do you <clears throat> now when you do supervision? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you primarily do it with EFT trainers? Do you still go to supervisors that? approach things from different ways than you normally do like where what do you look for in a supervisor that's a really good question ryan so um so i do eft supervision with and with an eft trainer um um for my own like learning Mm -hmm. right um i'm also learning aedp which is a model more around individuals and so I'm just kind of starting to do supervision in that model as well which is a really complementary model to EFT I think it's gonna really enhance that for me as well um yeah yeah I'm I'm glad you brought that up actually because I was I was doing my little researching of you before uh so that I have questions to ask and I noticed that you listed uh, AEDP. Yeah. And it caught, caught my eye because um, I've noticed several of the EFT therapists in the area where I'm at also use that model. Yes. Um, what what kind of compliments are you seeing in there? What, what got you kind of interested in that? Yeah, it's a good question. So what initially kind of drew me to it was I was feeling like my work with couples was was getting so rich and so deep and I felt so um uh this I'm not sure if this is the right word but like alive in session with Mm -hmm. them in their emotions and I was starting to notice my work with individuals was feeling a little um not as not quite as rich and so I was thinking huh I really don't like that. I want to beef that up so that that feels also really good to me and and more importantly to the client. So um, that's how I kind of came to find AEDP. And it's also very experiential. Um, It's really about kind of getting into your emotions, feeling your emotions, and feeling your emotions in relation to somebody else, the therapist, um, in a way that maybe you haven't been able to in your life before. What does that stand for? That's a good question. Um, So the AEDP is Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. I think that's the (laughs) key. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah, I'm looking looking at your... uh, (laughs) Your information right now, okay, and yes, good. that's what it stands for. Good, I passed the test. <laughs> is, that, is that also based on like attachment stuff, or is it? Mm-hmm. It is. Yes, attachment is right at the heart of it. So we were talking mm-hmm. about some of this when we had our little phone conversation, and I, I, this is fascinating to me because, um, I also have a bunch of friends who do a do some do a lot of EFT stuff and have a really vibrant EFT community. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one of them, and they're talking about how they're struggling with their individual stuff, and how EFT. And then mm-hmm. someone else is like, "Well, you know, Steve Johnson's working on developing EFT for individuals." Mm-hmm. Which I go, EFT came out of individual work. Like, yes. like Sue Johnson worked with Les Greenberg, who developed EFT like for individuals. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So to me, it's. I mean, I don't know anything about um, 
the model that you're training in now. Mm-hmm. But how come you decided to go that route instead of looking at, you know, the body research that preceded the couples therapy and kind of built um, the the individual therapy? Yeah, so I feel like I'm not going to be as articulate as I would like to be about this, but I I think that Sue split off from Les Greenberg's many years ago, right? And so emotion-focused therapy is Les Greenberg. And you're right, he's more individual. And I honestly, I don't know a lot about that. I I can't even speak to how that's different, really. Um, But then, so then Sue started emotionally focused couples therapy, EFT. And there is also now in the EFT world, um, there's EFT for individuals under Sue Johnson and EFT for families. It's EFFT, also under kind of Sue Johnson's model. Um, So your question being, what drew me to AEDP instead of like EFT for individuals? I think I just... I, ha- I don't really have a good answer. I think I just, um, there was a, an ADB, DP community in New York, which is cl- pretty close to me, about an hour away. And I just um, kind of fell in with that. And, um, and the EFT for individuals, is my understanding, and I might be wrong about this, isn't quite as developed yet as the ADP model. So, um I might be really wrong about that, though. I mean, my understanding is that it's it 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 isn't as developed. Um, yeah. So, you know, they are trying to develop it, and I have no, I don't doubt that it will be really good. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. And you know, I think that one of the things that I've seen over and over and over again is so much of what we learn and what we do is shaped by our community. So yes. It sounds like. You had access to a community that really supported this model. Yeah. Really jobs with who you are as a as an individual. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I have no idea. Les Greensburg's individual model um, isn't as popular as some of these some of these other models. I think so, that's definitely true. And so yeah, you know, there's not as much community around it. So yeah. That, that was, so it sounds like it's less of a philosophical theoretical difference but more of a this is where I found myself and these are people who I knew you were doing good work that resonated with me absolutely yeah yeah okay hmm I always one of my um one of the things I'm enjoying getting more into is the history Uh of just life history to me is becoming more and more fascinating and so I'm always Mm -hmm. I'm 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 always trying to look back, and so when I hear people say certain things, I, I go, "But we already do that. We already, we already, we already knew <laughs> that because right. of you know history." But anyway, um, yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. What I mean, how much of your practice is divided up couple work and then in, individual work? It, right now, it's um, about half and half, and that fluctuates. I mean, sometimes it's like seventy percent couples and thirty individuals and right now it's about half and half which I like I like kind of shaking it up a little bit and having my day be different you know um yeah and do you what did you do before you started getting into this model before um so I I I'm psychodynamic I come from a psychodynamic background and but well, and I was doing as much EFT with my individuals as I could, um, kind of noticing the cycle just in, within themselves, um, certainly using an attachment lens, the attachment theory, um, and then just trying to notice like patterns of behavior with them, a little CBT, but even though I trained in that years ago, I just don't find it, it doesn't resonate with who I am really so I've moved more and more away from that um yeah okay and with the psychodynamic part I mean I you know I had the overview when I was in school 
Mm -hmm. But it sounds like that was something that was a really rich part of your training. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, Looking at patterns and relationships, and I think at the heart of it for me was relationships and how people moved through and within their relationships. Um, But then really getting into the attachment piece kind of grounded all of that for me um, and kind of became my center and my anchor in all my work. Yeah. I don't know if I know many people who would say that they really um, did a lot of psychodynamic work. Like, what does that even mean for you? Because when I hear that, I think Freud. Oh, yeah, no. No, thank you, yeah. Um, I think for me it was just really noticing patterns of behavior and relationships and how their past kind of played in with their present, but... Definitely not through Freud's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're not doing cocaine every day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Gave me a whole new perspective. <laughs> but, but it did. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've, I've been reading this, this book um, called The Hero's Journey. I'm sure you've heard of it. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. And they talk a little bit about um, Freud's early thoughts. And, I mean, he puts a lot of emphasis on family relationships and early family relationships. And I think, Mm -hmm. in a weird way, uh, the field really forgot that for, I don't know, 60, 70 years, you know, after he... Mm-hmm. We have this idea of the decline of psychoanalysis, <clears throat> and I mean, I feel like people became so behavioral, but so focused on changing behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a while, it seems like we just lost that. It's I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I think it kind of has come back now in yeah. this attachment way of understanding, you know, people's present behavior as. Like, the way they cope, the way you protect yourselves, the way you kind of show up, um, a lot of times has a lot to do with your early attachment um, experiences. And, but not in a, like, I don't see it as labeling it as, like, a defense or anything other than this is kind of what you learn to do to survive something in your past or maybe even in your current relationship, right? And it's just a way that you're coping or protecting yourself and it makes a ton of sense, but maybe it's not working so much right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge shift and I think that's so important. And I think yeah. when I've read through your, through your blog, one of your big ideas is the five P's. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of touch on that and kind of explain that? Yeah, of course. So um, so in EFT, we have four Ps, which is um, present process, present, the present moment, process, um, which is kind of how you're thinking about things and how you show up, right? The pattern, which is another word for cycle. You had to give it a P, right? So, um all right, wait, so present, um, process, pattern, primary emotion is the fourth. Um, and then I kind of added in a fifth P, protection, the way you protect yourself, um, which is different from primary emotion. Primary emotion is kind of more what you might feel inside, and the way you protect yourself might be the way you show up outside. Um, So, is that related to secondary emotion then? Yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Very simple. Kind of the same thing. It could be the same thing or it could be maybe the behavior of the secondary emotion. Does that make sense? I mean, I think it does. Can you give me an example? Yeah. So, a really easy way. I was trying to think of maybe how to talk about this if this came up for some of your students who are probably newer at this, yeah? Yeah. Um, and I think the be- a really easy way to kind of think about primary emotion versus secondary emotion or protection is 
to think of what you feel inside isn't always what you show on the outside, right? So, like, you, if you're in a relationship that maybe there's some tension, it's not going so well, you might feel lonely or sad on the inside. That would be your primary emotion. But what you show your partner might be anger or criticism, and that's um, kind of the secondary emotion and or the protection. Does that make a little bit of sense? Yeah. 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 And But you were also saying that for your languaging of this on the blog, mm-hmm. that, that protection can also be related to behaviors. Right. So it could be like um, the secondary emotion might be anger, but maybe it comes out in I'm just super critical and um, harsh and, you know, finding fault all the time. That would be the behavior, right? Um, and that we would, in EFT, we see that as the way this person is protecting themselves, either from their own sadness, they don't want to feel it themselves, or from sharing that sadness with their partner, um, and maybe both. Do you, yeah, I think that's Does that make a sense? way to kind of sum up, you know, the, the things that I think we really look at and that we kind of hope to focus on, right? Yes, and then what, so what, you're, what we're doing with EFT is we're looking at the inside and outside of, of each partner and how that kind of ping-pongs off each other. And then that's, that we call that the negative cycle, and that's what we're really trying to work on and to shift um, for these couples so that they can, A, plug into their primary emotion and not be so afraid of it for themselves, and B, show their partner and talk to their partner in a vulnerable way about, I feel really sad and I really miss you, instead of like, screw you, you're always, you know, leaving me alone, and or you never take the garbage out or whatever. Like, really different, right? One pushes your partner away, and the other draws them closer. Yeah. I think for me, something that um, I just didn't even think about, and I think you're bumping right up against it, was it is when you show those vulnerable emotions, right, those soft mm-hmm. emotions, uh, mm-hmm. the more inviting mm-hmm. that your partner then is really pricked respond in a different way yes and I, I think for myself like personally and in my work as a therapist before I understood that I was trying to get people to think about things differently okay but don't you see but like mm-hmm. okay, take, take a step back and just look at this this you know and it's like mm, that's not that's not what's gonna change things right so true yeah. so another huge piece of EFT is this um, experiential piece and What I mean by that is we want, it's speaking to exactly what you just said, Jordan. Like we want, we can't just convince our clients that, you know, yelling at your partner isn't going to bring him closer or her closer. We want them to feel that. We want them to feel it in session. We want to really get them into their emotion and, and show them, you know, what that feels like, how they're protecting themselves, or, or maybe we're we're in their protection. We're going to label it their protection. Can you feel that right now? Does that, you know, and then we want to play around with, is that pushing your partner away or bringing them closer in this moment? Um, and really getting them. So it's not just thinking about it. It's, um, having them feel through it. Yep. One of the things that, I keep I keep bumping up against then is how much of this is just state based learning? You know? When I'm in this mm-hmm. state I've learned to react this way. And mm-hmm. EFT therapists are trying to get people to go back into that state to have a different experience of it. Yes. I think that's right. I think um yes, 
we do see the negative cycle as the more it goes on, the more that's, that's what you do. That's where you go. That's your default. It's, you know, um, it is the state you're in to use your words. Right. And we want to have them feel something different in session. And it's obviously not just one and done, but so that we're actually changing the patterns in their brain of, oh, I can, I know, I've had the experience of sharing my sadness with my partner and having my partner be there and and share that with me. And wow, that feels really good. And if we do that a few more times, now I know I can do that at home too. And um, so, yeah, trying to shift that for them through actually doing it. Is there is there any research on how many times that has to happen? For- oh, that's a great question. No, and I, well, I shouldn't say no. I don't know of any. Um, my guess would be that it's so personal. Um, you know, it probably depends on how much trauma each client has had, how ingrained these patterns are, how receptive the partner is in session. You know, if 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 the partner's kind of halfway receptive, it's going to take a lot longer for both of them to feel into it. But if like right away, boom, the partner's there, I get it. Oh my God. I see you. You're so, I see you sad and I love you. And you know, then it might not take as long. Um, Do you think we'll ever get assessment devices that will really help in that process? To help figure out like how long it might take. Yeah. Maybe. I would think, you know, if. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to say. Here's what I was going to say, and then I'm going to scratch it out. Um, <laughs> I love you know, it. Exactly. May- <laughs> maybe if we had some kind. This is what I was going to say. Maybe if we had some kind of assessment that could assess for a level of trauma and how many years and um, have you ever had a safe relationship and all of that. Now, we do have those assessments. Um, but I still think it is so, it is such a personal, exquisitely personal journey and each client is so different that, um, and then each therapist is so different too, right? So because it's a relational model, I think, I think we probably will never precisely be able to say that because it depends on all three people in that room moment to moment. That's my, my, my guess. Yeah. I pendulum swing about this probably because we learn so much and things that we think will never happen suddenly happen. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm like obsessed with now which I'm sure I've talked to Ryan about this a thousand times, is just like artificial intelligence and how you know, mm. it's, it's, they have programs that write programs better than programmers, you know? <laughs> they have mm-hmm. they can pe- beat people at, you know, any, any video game, any, any board game. And so I have no idea what the upper limit is. And then you hear about things like John Gottman's re- research, right, where he can um, really pinpoint where couples um, fall into distress and how long they, Mm -hmm. you know, are in distress before they get help and all these things and things that I would have thought were impossible. Mm -hmm. And then we do that. And then there's there's a part of me that's, you know, exactly like you are of people are so complex. Yeah. Um, And it's not just one person, it's three people plus the people who they interact with who you don't see on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> so true. It's so true, and I would hate for us to to lean too heavily on some statistic that um, tried to predict something about our client who's sitting across from us who, you know, has had a crappy day. And I don't know, I, I think... We want to know the research, obviously, because it's so informative and helps us. And then we want to kind of leave it at the door and just be with our clients in the best way we can. Yeah. Um, yeah I think that I think that my interest in the 
assessing would be if there was a way to make me more effective more quickly. Like, yeah. I'm less interested in, like, pinpointing, like, uh, you know, they've been in distress this long before they come to therapy, and I'm more interested in, if I know that we're at this spot, mm. I need to steer clear of this, or yeah. I need to focus more on this, or I know that I stone face a lot more because I have a beard, so I need to focus mm -hmm. on that when we're in this phase. Like, things like that I would be yeah. interested in. But, yeah. Yeah, I agree. To Like, markers to look for that might help us say, yeah. like, okay, in this moment I need to, like, plaster on the safety or plaster on validation or maybe I can lead them a little bit here. Or, you know, that would, that you're right, that would be... That would be good. Yeah, I think um, it's funny you say that because I have looked at Les Greenberg's EFT stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the main focus of the model is oh. Mm. Oh. So that's, I mean, that's his whole approach. And then once you understand that, it makes sense a lot of where the Sue Johnson uh, style comes in because you're looking at, you know, mm. what are the change events? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And what are the markers for those change events? Well, okay. So we have to, mm -hmm. go, you know, get uh, withdraw, re-engagement, and pursue or softening. Oh, okay. Those are the things. Those are the those are the same sorts of markers that Les looks looks at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's it is interesting. Yeah. And I think I'm like Ryan. Like I don't necessarily need to know how distressed you are. It's more about how can I help you. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm. And I think it's also um, interesting how much we've learned about trauma and how trauma affects the body. Yeah. And all these just bizarre sort of ways that, you know, and it, uh, I don't know. To me, it's... Yeah. We are, we are learning so much, and I, I, you know, I, just, I just don't know where it, where it all ends. <laughs> Yeah, I know. There's so much like Peter Levine and who um, a huge yeah. fan. Just uh, yeah, Levine. yeah. I do like him. Yeah, I do like. There's so much trauma research going on right now, and it's really fabulous because our clients it can just benefit our clients so much. Um. So I had one more big question for you. You're mm -hmm. writing a book, which I'm, su or you you wrote a book, which I'm super excited about. Thank you. Um, you know, so often you read, I read voraciously, and I'll walk away from a book and be like, ah, that person didn't get relationships. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have somebody who like gets, like, gets relationships writing about this. I'm, I'm just so excited. Can you tell me a little bit, like, the plot of the book? Not Thank no, you. In, but how does it? Yeah, I'll just tell you a little bit. It's the basic. Um, it's about how we all make assumptions about people, you know, all the time, whether it's a stranger on the street or our partner, and then we kind of move forward as if those assumptions are true, and so often we're wrong. So it's a novel about how those assumptions those faulty assumptions play out um for four women friends in their lives um and the main character her marriage is falling apart so um so that's kind of the core of the story but yeah um yeah, I'm 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 already hooked. <laughs> I'm already Yay, hooked. thank you. When does it come out? <laughs> well, so I'm I'm going this kind of crazy route um by doing this kind of crowdfunding campaign for a month to see how many pre-sales I can get. And then depending on how many pre-sales I get, they pitch publishers for me. Um so that's what's happening right now. So I don't know when the book will come out. I mean, the manuscript is finished. Um, but depending, I guess, if I get a contract 
from a publisher or if I self-publish it, I'm guessing sometime this summer it'll it'll come out. Yeah. So. And what's the uh, what? Where can people find the website for the crowdsourcing? Thank you. So it's um, it's publishizer.com, um, or I also have a karenbristol.com. Either one, either one of those places will bring you to it. And the novel is called The Truth is a Theory. So, a theory. Mm-hmm. yeah. How long did it take you to to finish this? <laughs> For like 10 years. A decade, yeah. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> and I'm not joking. <laughs> no, I believe you. Yeah. yeah. I started a book. Uh, I'm, I started writing a book. And like, two, you know, two or three months ago. And I fully expected it to take a decade. <laughs> like, like, I'm not even... Uh-huh. I'm not even yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took a long time. What, what inspired yeah. this? You know what? I've always wanted to be a writer. And... um when my kids were small, I just, I don't know, I just felt like I have to do something for myself here. And um, even if it was like 10 minutes a day or when, you know, one kid was napping or something, I would try to just scribble um, something down. So, yeah, it, it was fun. It kept me entertained, um, kept my mind busy and, yeah, yeah. So this, I mean, this is kind of geeky, but how did you like test it out? Like, would you read it to your kids at night or something? Like, how did you, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh, no, I did not read it to my kids. <laughs> um, I, I definitely some friends have read it. Um, was that just and heartbreaking? But that, but that was worse than supervision. But that was yeah, exactly right. Like, oh my god, please be nice to me. No. Um, yeah, and and you guys would crack up at how many times I've edited this thing. Like, I, it's hard to stop editing. You know, you keep going back through it, and oh, change that word. And um, but I think you could probably do that. I could probably do that for the rest of my life. And finally, I was like, all right, enough. And now I need to like put some closure on it. So yeah, yeah. Jordan and I both do a little bit of writing in different ways and i don't want to speak for him but at least with me there is editing and re-editing and all kinds of mess so yes so you totally get it and i hear you yeah yeah no it's definitely (laughs) yeah it is yeah it's like the grueling work in the middle you know it becomes almost obsessive like i've got to get absolutely yeah yes and then sometimes you're just like, yeah, I'm just so tired of this. I got to put it down. Like I can't, I can't even look at you right now. I can't even. That's so true. And I think both are important, right? Like we need yeah. to walk away from it. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're got we're about to wind down, but I wanted to okay. give you a platform to say anything. Like what is you know, if students can walk away with this understanding about EFT, hmm. this is something that people miss. This is. This is my um, soapbox that I feel like people just need to understand. Okay, so thank that's good. Um, so what I would say, I guess there's so many important pieces, but what's kind of coming, jumping up in my mind right now is um, this idea that EFT is not blaming and not pathogenic, right? We use the attachment lens to really say to people, you make sense to me, um, and what you're doing makes sense to me. Or if it doesn't make sense, you hold on to the knowledge that it will make sense. We just need to slow down, and and you need to help me with it. But I'm not I'm not blaming you. I'm not judging you. I really want to get you, and I know you may, you will make sense. So let's figure this out. Um, which is so, that right there is so healing for clients, especially if they've maybe been to other therapists who are maybe a little bit more blaming or wanting to diagnose. Um, and we say, you know that thing you do that people have told you they don't like about you? I want to know about it, and I want to help you see how that makes sense. It's not working. I bet it's not working for you. 
but I, I, I understand why you do it. Does that? Yeah, I think that's, oh, man, just music to my soul. And mm-hmm. to me, that was something that I think I'd heard a lot. But until I started going through the EFT training, I didn't understand. And I, yeah. I, had, I don't think I had the tools to really present that back to clients either. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Good. Um, is there anything that you're like, man, this is the the leading edge. This is going to be, you know, something that I wish people paid more attention to. Um, just in the field of therapy in, in general. We've we've had people on here who swear by near neurofeedback. We've had people we have Oh yeah. who really do a lot with um, nutrition. Uh, uh-huh. So th- is there anything that you're like, oh man, that would be yeah, uh, gosh, I think all of those. I mean, I've heard such good things about neurofeedback and EMDR. I mean, there's so many really interesting, um, helpful and healing modalities out there. Um, I think they're, they all have a place and they're all really useful. And I think um, for your students, what's really important is to listen to their heart and to find a, a therapy or modality that they really resonate with and that they feel like they can put their own kind of personal style or stamp on because we all can't be, we're not the same. And, you know, the way I do EFT is going to be the way a little bit different than the way you guys do EFT and then different from somebody else. And doesn't, it's all good. Like it's all important and, um, so I guess follow your heart and then feel like you can make it your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right, talk you guys. Thank you. So nice to talk to you.